0: Thank you, Josh and worship team, for, for that wonderful uh, music this morning. Good morning, Stonebridge. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, before I dig into the message today, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the significance of today. We have some flowers here uh, on this speaker. Um, it's from the worship or excuse me, from the uh, uh, funeral service for Frank Bean. Uh, the significance is he's our first member of our church who has passed away and is with God now. And uh, as as a church body, we, as the last time I spoke, are charged to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So... Just uh, if you know anybody from the Bean family, put your arm around him. It's bittersweet. We know where Frank is, and it's unfortunate that we are not graced with his presence here on Earth. But one day we live by the faith that we are going to be reunited in heaven. So moving on, I'm blessed to try and bring a message to you today. Um, It's going to be a little bit different uh, than previous passages that I've gone over. Uh, I'm a little bit challenged today to try and tie this to a movie passage that's suitable for church because, well, as you'll see later, the passage is quite graphic, but uh, more like think like Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill. But uh, instead, (laughs) I want to set the stage for our passage before digging into it. Uh, first, though, I just want to pray over the message, and uh, if you'll join me in that. Lord God, we just, we just thank you for, for this day. We thank you for opportunities that we have to, to grow in our faith walk, God, uh, with you. We, we pray that you will just bless the words that are being spoken today, that I'm just letting it flow from you through me. To the ears and hearts and minds of, of everybody that is listening, God, help us to be receptive. Help us to to take away points of this that are going to help us just uh, continue to to grow in our faith and and God to to effect change in our lives where it is needed. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, at this point, the people of Israel have now been wandering out in the wilderness for almost. 40 years. During this time, as we've gone through this series, we've had example after example of them grappling with grumbling. God keeps gracefully giving them deliverance time and time again, only for the people of Israel to show their thankfulness with incident after incident after incident of disobedience. They do this as leaders, Aaron and Miriam, as a people think of the construction of the golden calf asking for meat when they provided been provided manna by god asking for a return to slavery to egypt not even being thankful for the blessings that they have sometimes even revolting against Mes- or excuse me against moses god's chosen leader for the people of israel and lastly trying to attempt to fight battles without God's blessing or his direction. With every disobedient act, God punishes his children until either atonement or intercession are made. And yet, still, they continue to make poor choices. As a people, they, at this point, are actually becoming much more organized as a military force this group that started out as a group of slaves in Egypt. And God has blessed them recently in their campaign east of the Jordan River with several victorious battles. The biblical narrative of Israel's settlement in Canaan refers initially to the conquest on the east side of the Jordan River under the leadership of Moses. The first conquests are the lands of um, I'm going to botch words. I apologize here. Sihon, the Amorite king, and Og, king of Bashan. This conquest is recorded in the Bible as follows. We took the land at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites, and they were beyond the valley of Arnon into Mount Hermon. Deuteronomy 3.8. Their land is settled by the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manashi, which is in Numbers 32. So now the people of Israel are resting East of the Jordan River encamped. They are preparing to cross the Jordan River at Jericho and enter Canaan, the promised land. This last couple of chapters leading up to this point, Matt covered Balak, king of Moab. He had hired Balaam to try and curse the people of Israel, only for them to be blessed prophetically on three different occasions. Balak is fearful of the people of Israel because the writing is on the wall with the military victories that they're achieving and just by the sheer numbers of these people nation. No pun intended with the study of the book of Numbers, but Israelite uh, continues uh, to grow and they are preparing to march. Even though Balaam doesn't curse the Israelites, he does give Balak advice on how to knock Israel from God's favored status. So now the stage is almost set for our passage to be read, but I want to add one more piece before reading the passage. You see, the Bible is truth. The Bible is God's Word. The Bible is real. The Bible is raw. It's sometimes graphic and blunt. I think Matt Chandler puts it best when he says the Bible, of course, gives us good and right teaching on everything from sex to parenting to money to moral, to morals, all good things, wonderful things, God's design and desire for all of our life. But our ability to walk in these truths with freedom and joy, our church's ability to lead people into this ongoing abundant life experience for themselves, it is dependent on something else an accurate and a deep understanding of the gospel. That is our Mississippi. Without a proper understanding of the gospel, people will miss the big biblical picture and all the joyful freedom that comes from living it. They will run from God in shame at their failures instead of running towards him because of his grace and his mercy. The real, the raw, the graphic, the blunt, the whole Bible is a gift from God, even when it's like something out of an R-rated movie. And so with that, I'm going to continue to read the word. So Numbers 25. Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, "'Take all of the chiefs of people "'and hang them in the sun before the Lord, "'and the fierce anger of the Lord "'may turn away from Israel.' And Moses said to the judges of Israel, "'Each of you kill those of his men "'who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor.' And behold, one of the people of Israel came "'and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose, he left the congregation, and he took a spear in his hand. He went after the man of Israel into the chamber, pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped." Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. The zeal of Phinehas. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous, and with my jealousy among them, so that I do not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. And it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and he made atonement for the people of Israel. The name of the slain man of Israel who was killed by the Midianite woman was Zimri, son of Salyu, chief of the father's house belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was caused by the daughter of Zer, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites, and strike them down, for they have harassed you with their wiles, which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Chazbi, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. Send some the word. There are several key points from this passage that I want to talk about. The sin of idol worship, allowing complacency in our spiritual lives. God's wrath through atonement yet again versus God's righteous wrath. And lastly, the zeal of Phinehas. Before parting the king, or excuse me, before parting with Moab, Balak, uh, uh, the Moabite king, uh, Balaam had suggested to him to allow Moabite women to seduce the men of Israel and introduce worshiping of Baal, who is a Canaanite god of fertility. We don't really read this in Numbers. Uh, We actually read this in Revelation 2.14. Revelation 2.14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. In the process of worshiping Baal, uh, people would commit these sexual acts. They performed them oftentimes with prostitutes. And they were doing this in an encampment, even in front of the temple of worship, They were also consuming foods that were to be sacrificed to these idols. Not only were these acts offensive, it was done right in the presence of God, the only God that the Israelite nation is to be worshiping. They were actively breaking God's first commandment. You shall not worship other gods before me. This practice was not only offensive to God. This practice was also disrupting the patriarchal fabric of God's intended families to be led by men to have one wife, one husband, covenantially bound between them. There are so many layers to the depth of how out of line this is with God's desire. And so, What happens is like it has countless times for these people of Israel. Here's a hint. It's the same that we've known from our study of Romans 6. The wages of sin are death. So begins another plague, more death within the nation of Israel. I want to confess. I am so prone when my life is going well and when I'm prosperous I'm being an awesome dad, husband, provider for my family. I get complacent. I have times that I'm not coming to God, fighting the fight spiritually, staying in the Word on a daily basis, prayerfully seeking out God at all times. It's at those times that I am at my weakness. I am prone to sin focusing on me. I am prideful. I'm thinking, man, I am killing it. I've had times where I haven't seen the idolatry in my life, whether it's porn, binge eating, alcohol, anger, pride. And in these times of prosperity, I don't stay vigilant. I forget the lessons from the Word which tell me that I need to be constantly vigilant. I personally have allowed things like work, which I've identified myself with, to just consume more of my life than what it needs to. Anything that we are putting above what God has intended for us to spend time with Him, above the family time that we have, above any other priority that is not godly, that is an idol. Proverbs 26.11 like a god that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Proverbs 25, 16, and 17. If you found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he has his fill of you and hate you. Proverbs 23, 6 to 8. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your present words. Ironically, there are 33 passages referring to idolatry and vomit in the Bible. And this may sound like a joke, but it's not. I think there's so much intentionality with that. Because for us, we can relate to vomit. We have this visceral response to it. We can taste it when we hear that word. We can see it. We can smell it. It's foul. And it is no different to our God, who is holy. I want to implore to us as a church to see the lesson here that the Israelites do not heed after God has graced them with victories in their fight for the promised land. Do not let our guard down, even when life is great. Do not compromise, because it's so easy not to go to him at these times. It's so easy to remember to go to him when we have needs, when we are suffering, when we have wants. We should be constantly on guard. Fighting the fight on a daily basis. God's grace versus his righteous wrath. God wants us to do major surgery in our lives when we sin because he cares about our eternal souls. Sometimes the cure is painful, just like in medicine. Sometimes In order to stop a patient in surgery that is bleeding or hemorrhaging, the only thing that we can do is cauterize and burn tissue, which burns healthy tissue around it too. There are some cancers that we find that uh, we have to cut away not only the tumor, but we also have to deal with these fingers or tentacles that are just weaving themselves into healthy tissue around it. And so we have to do surgery and cut all of those tentacles out lest we want them to come back and form another cancer. We are Old Testament here in this passage. Atonement is made through blood sacrifice. Yet God is clear here in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, even Jesus' teaching in how as we, as God's chosen people, are to deal with our sin. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. You see, God is consistent. He demands that Moses kill all of those involved in this idolatry. Moses complies. He orders his judges to kill the offenders, hanging them for everyone and the people of Israel to see. Yet again, we see what the wages of sin are. I cannot imagine what this scene had to be like. Weeping over thousands of people who have died from a plague, people being stoned, bodies hanging, from trees. Just the entire scene had to be heartbreaking. So, do the Israelites wake up? Do they change? Nope. In true Israeli fashion, they try and see just how far that they can go in offending God. And so Zimri takes Karbai. A Midianite woman in full view of Moses, in full view of Aaron, in full view of the entire host of the people of Israel, in full view of the tent of meeting where God is present, flaunting their sin. Somebody had finally had enough. Which brings us to Phineas. There's lots of ways that we can fight sin We have our Bibles. That feeds us truth. We have prayer. We can commune with God. We can share our troubles. One thing that I want us to take away is the importance of accountability. I am not advocating that if you see somebody that is sinning within this church body to take a spear and go after them and impale them. That's going to get you in jail. That's not what I'm advocating However, what I am advocating is that we do need more Phineases in our church, in our church body, doing the work that Phineas did to try and root out sin within our people. When we see sin, we need to be bold. We need to have righteous zeal, jealousy for God. We need to serve our God in that. We need to be brave and stand up for our beliefs even when no one else around us is standing up and doing that. If you look around uh, back at the passage, there are tons of people that are still seeing this happen, and Phineas is the only man who steps up. We need to reach out to our brother in our moments where we are sinning and call out that sin as sin. What does that look like? First... We need to identify sin. We need to do that within ourselves, or if somebody lovingly comes to us to bring attention to our sin, call out that sin. I'm a sinner. Every one of you are sinners. See, earlier I spoke about accountability, but I do want to clarify what that looks like. Our greatest example is Jesus. In John 8, 7... A woman had committed adultery, and she was about to be stoned. Jesus' command to the scribes and the Pharisees, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Why? We're all condemned as sinners. But God is the only one who judges. So accountability to call out sin should be done with a heart of love for the well-being of a person's soul. We should not impale them with a spear. We will one day give an accounting for our sins. Zimri, carsby they're remembered perpetually in verses 14 and 15 of our passage today to remind us of this. In the parable of the fishes, I, this is just a little addition, there's so many different instances in this, but discussing it last night with Jen, um, Jesus said uh, that the fish would be sorted out by him. And like that, it is not for us to sort out. It is for us to biblically analyze, look, call attention to, and let God do the work. A sin should be called a sin by us as believers. It should not be a judgment of another person. It definitely should not be killing that other person in our hearts. We do that all too often in our modern-day society. We have trouble being intentional about our actions. We have trouble being loving towards one another in those actions. We marginalize people. We keep them from being exposed to the love of Christ, in our zeal to stamp out sin i personally have experienced a coworker of mine who refused to attend a church because a church that he had gone to several years ago had an elder who said there is no reason for a homosexual person to enter through the doors of a church now how are we supposed to preach the love of god and try and and, and cause change in this person's heart if we are completely excluding ourselves from an opportunity to minister to them. We can't do that. And yet, that kind of experience makes it challenging for us to say, yeah, God is loving. God cares about you, and so do we. But we're not going to show it with our actions. What if somebody has a different political view than us? What if... Somebody is poor, or homeless, or a drug addict. What does that look like when we're marginalizing people, not reaching out to them? These were the people that Christ reached out to. He reached out to the leprous. He reached out to the adulterous woman. There is more lessons that Jesus gives us that we must be loving We must first point out sin, confess our sins, and finally, getting to the last part. After the scribes and the Pharisees had left, Jesus commanded to the adulterous woman, go and sin no more. We are to repent. That is the last part of that. We are to repent of our sins. Jesus said to that adulterous woman, after no one had condemned her, neither do I condemn you. Now now go and sin no more. That's beautiful. Repentance. Metanoia, which is called on throughout the Bible, is a summons to a personal, absolute, and ultimate, unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Though it includes sorrow and regret, it is so much more than that. In repenting, one takes a complete 180-degree turn away from, from sin, towards God. And that is the definition of repentance. We must root away our personal sin, root it away in our lives, and run away from it. God honored Phineas for his fervent zeal in serving him, giving him a covenantal vow of peace and a perpetual priesthood. Yet, I think that there is more to this. I think that there is another layer. You see, Phineas, he was an Aaronic priest by ancestry and by God's covenantal promise. He would be serving in the earthly temple, the earthly copy of the heavenly temple for generations. And so now we go to Hebrews 8, 1 through 2 to see if we can find some sort of similarities. Hebrews eight one two. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. You see, according to Levitical law, Phineas was not allowed to touch another woman let alone kill a person. But he did not care. He was willing to sacrifice it all for God. He was so concerned about honoring God, rooting out sin in the people of Israel, that he had had enough. He, sacrificed, he was willing to sacrifice everything. And like Christ, who was willing to sacrifice for the good of us in an imperfectly perpetual defiant, sinful people. In His act of sacrificial atonement on the cross, eternal atonement was made for all of us. All we have to do is accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, repent of our sins. We are going to continue sinning But through God's grace, we are forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the message that you provide to us today, God. Some of these messages in the Bible are really challenging, God, but God, I pray that you will help us to find good application ways uh, to utilize this, God, because. Your, bu- your book is beautiful. Your, your word is true, God. And we just want to sit in the truths of that. God, I pray that you will just help us to have our eyes open and our hearts open if there is idols in our lives, God. Whatever that is, help us to root that out in our lives. Help us to be more like you, God. We want to... We want to just honor you and glorify you in the work that has already been done, that has already been finished for us, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.